Hello and welcome to this week's MemCast. Today we've got Dr Justin Cook with us, a consultant cardiologist at Chesterfield Hospital. And the topic of today's MemCast is chest pain in the acute setting. Hi Dr Cook. Hi Rachel. Our emphasis traditionally is always on coronary artery disease and that's appropriate because it is the most important differential. But we ought to be aware that very often when we satisfy ourselves that someone has not got coronary artery disease, we're often treating our own anxiety or a GP's anxiety, not necessarily that of the patient. A patient, for example, may actually go to a GP with a symptom and be worried about cancer, and it's only when the GP worries about angina that they refer up to the chest pain clinic. I'd like to ask the patient what they're worried about. A further point is that if we're always focusing on coronary disease, and nowadays everyone gets a troponin, we're in danger of anchoring bias. So it's common for patients to come up from ED with a positive troponin and query ACS written in the notes, and that can anchor the diagnosis and we can miss important differentials like PE and dissection. The third point I want to make is that asymptomatic coronary artery disease is actually very common. People can present with a chest pain and fairly quickly go on to have angiography, be that CT or invasive angiography, which will often reveal some coronary disease. And there's a danger of false attribution of a symptom that sounds a bit like angina and calling it angina once we see the coronary disease. And the consequence of that is that people can end up having interventions like stenting with risks involved for a symptom that isn't angina. Mm Our traditional history, examination, investigation is actually turned on its head because everyone who comes through the front door with chest pain should have an ECG straight away and in practice a troponin follows fairly quickly afterwards. When it comes to the ECG, if you've got ST segment elevation on your ECG, frankly you're going to be taking the history whilst you're arranging for the patient to be transferred to a cath lab for primary PCI. And the point of that history is to exclude other important issues. And people have gone to the cath lab with a hemoglobin of 50 in the past. So you need to think about things like anemia. And the other thing that's really important in the history is the timing of the onset of the infarct. Because primary PCI is beneficial for people presenting within 12 hours of the onset of their infarct, but not later. Following on from this is a really important point that 50% of infarcts are preceded by unstable symptoms. So a common story that you'll get is of a patient who goes down to his allotment first thing in the morning, has some chest pain and feels unwell for about 10 minutes while he's digging. He stops, it all settles down and he goes home, has a sleep and then at 6 o'clock the following evening the same pain comes back and doesn't go away. And then if you're on the phone at 8 o'clock in the evening ringing up the cath lab and the person at the other end gets the impression that the infarct started with the unstable symptoms at 8 o'clock in the morning, then that patient is going to miss out Mm. on a really important intervention. So it's essential to try and unpick exactly when the infarct started. And the other important point from that scenario is that subsequently, when everything's blown over and the patient's been treated and they're sitting on the ward, it's really important to go back and educate the patient about what happened because in the future, should the patient have those same symptoms that resolve, they shouldn't just go and sleep it off, they need to be coming up to the hospital. Troponin T, or high sensitive troponin, fantastic test, but it's important to remember that it is very non-specific. 
in the normal population, the 99th centile for the upper limit of normal is 16 nanograms per liter for those under the age of 75, but 77 for those age over 75. So that means there's a lot of fit, healthy elderly people who are walking around with elevated troponin. And of course, the population of patients with multimorbidity that we see, many of them are quite elderly and it's very common for them to have raised troponins for all kinds of reasons. What I encourage people to do is to really relentlessly focus on the fourth universal definition of myocardial infarction. For a diagnosis of acute myocardial infarction, you need a rise or fall in high sensitivity troponin plus one of three things, either symptoms of myocardial ischemia, new ECG changes or Q wave, or, and this is less common for us, imaging evidence of myocardial infarction, so that might be echocardiography, or evidence of myocardial infarction on autopsy. So the symptoms of myocardial ischemia are the important thing. That begs the question, what are those symptoms? And actually it is really difficult to do justice to the full diversity of the symptoms with which people present with myocardial infarction. But some important points, 30% of myocardial infarcts are said to be silent, i.e. no symptoms at all. I think probably less than that in the modern era with high sensitivity troponin. It's really not that unusual for me to have a patient in clinic with inferior Q waves, an akinetic inferior wall on echo, who really cannot remember any event in the past when that infarct happened. Almost by definition, acute myocardial infarction is not exertional, so you don't have that real key feature of angina to help you, but it's important when you see people to seek a history of angina beforehand, which is often not being revealed previously. So ask patients if they get a symptom in their chest on exertion. Very often, a lot of these patients have had infarcts before, and so actually all you need to do is say, is this the same symptom you had last time? And if they say yes, there you go, you're home and dry. I think for trainees, the best thing I could advise about understanding what the symptoms of acute myocardial ischemia are is to, at every opportunity when you've got patients on the ward who've recently had an established infarct, to go back and just ask them about how they presented. And if you do that, you'll just build up a bank in your head of stories which will help you to understand the presentation of acute myocardial infarction and you'll get to know quite quickly what is a worrying symptom and what isn't a worrying symptom. There are some things that do cause confusion. A common one that we see is the patient who presents with two weeks of increasing breathlessness, of orthopnea and swollen ankles, and they come in, the breathlessness gets acutely worse, they come in with elevated troponin. That is heart failure decompensation. That is not an acute myocardial infarct. And another important point to make, which is often missed, is when you do serial troponins, you most commonly see a rise in the troponin, but it may be a fall. If you have a coronary artery that includes temporarily, that showers aggregated platelets down the capillaries and then recanalizes quickly, the troponin spike will be quite quick. And you may find that if you're taking your first troponin at 18 hours after the event and the second one at 24 hours, what you're actually going to see is a fall in the troponin. 
So I've focused on acute myocardial infarction, but of course there are two other diagnoses that are really important, and that's PE and aortic dissection. I think the most important bit of advice is that every time you're seeing somebody with chest pain, you're thinking, I think this is a myocardial infarction. Just make sure there's a voice in your head that's going, are you sure this isn't a PE? Are you sure this isn't a dissection? Because if you do that, that's your best guarantee of picking up this diagnosis that can be tricky sometimes, and certainly the consequences of missing them can be fairly catastrophic. With PE, the symptom is normally of breathlessness and chest tightness and normally builds up over a few days. Be wary of an ECG that shows T-wave inversion across the chest leads. It's common to have T-wave inversion in V1 to V3 when you've got right ventricular strain, but sometimes that T-wave inversion goes all the way across the chest leads and looks for all the world like an anterior non-STEMI. So if you see that, but the history sounds more like a PE, it probably is. Aortic dissection, onset of the discomfort and the pain is normally pretty instantaneous in contrast to myocardial infarction where it tends to build up over five, 10 minutes. Certainly for the middle-aged and older patients, almost always there is a history of hypertension. So that's the key little trigger that you may think of dissection. So as a final point, if you're in doubt about acute myocardial infarction, should you just put them on dual antiplatelet therapy and fondoparanox? Fine, but only if there's going to be a robust process for reviewing that within the first 24 hours. Because it's not without consequence. If you go back to the first dual antiplatelet study, which was a cure study, when clopidogrel was added to aspirin, the major bleeding event rate went up from 2.7 to 3.7%. One in 100 major bleeds caused by the clopidogrel. And more recently in the PLATO trial, which the average age was 62, which was aspirin and ticagrelor versus aspirin and clopidogrel, the life-threatening or fatal bleeding rate was 5.8%. So it is not insignificant in our typical multi-morbid elderly patient that we see on the admitting wards dual antiplatelet therapy has quite significant risks as well as in the case of tocagrelor quite significant costs. If I summarise what I've said is just be really careful about over-diagnosing myocardial infarction. When you're trying to work out the diagnosis in the context of a raised troponin try and stick carefully to the fourth universal definition of myocardial infarction. And the final thing, just always train that little synapse in your head that asks about PE and dissection to go off every time you see somebody with chest pain. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Dr. Cook.